We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Colato. Today, we got a special show for you. Just like last week, we're going to do an interview with CBS Sports Draft Insider, Ryan Wilson. He went nuts in this interview. He went off. He dove into just about everything you could want to know about the Giants draft and about the overall draft. So this is an exciting one. Ryan is somebody who I first made friends with when I joined the company back in August. He was the nicest guy. He reached out to me. We talked. A lot about, you know, the upcoming role for me and just, you know, how the company works and, and where, where to go from there. And even back then, I was reading his draft content in August. He was diving deep into this class. He had a top 50 big board. He was diving deeper into the quarterback position. That's the kind of position I think he does the best work on uh, specifically. So we're going to talk a bit, a bit about the quarterbacks and obviously the Giants draft class. Without further ado, let's dive into this uh, and welcome Ryan into the show. Let's welcome in Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing with the quarantine? How's everything going in, in the life of the Wilson? Well, first of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, I'm glad that I, you know, I preach to my I have two kids, eight and 13. I preach them all the time. Whatever you do, just be a good person. And it sounds like I was a good person to you. So that makes me feel good. I'm glad it wasn't a, a, a jerk. Um, so yeah, no, I'm hanging in there. I was telling you a, a second ago, I live in upstate New York. So we're sort of in the middle of nowhere. We live in a neighborhood, but there are distances between the houses. And so it's just, Basically, the four of us have been on, I think we've been on lockdown or, or whatever we're calling it now, quarantine for 16 or 17 days. Um, are you in New York or New Jersey, Dan? So I'm actually in Montclair, so it's northern New Jersey for me. All right. So you've had sort of a similar experience in terms of right. the seriousness of, more so for you than for me, uh, as you get closer to New York City. And um, Nick, I'm not sure where you're from, but I would imagine uh, if you're a Giants fan, you know Dan, you're probably tri-state area. Yes, I'm in uh, Morristown, New Jersey, and yeah, oh, yeah. it's uh, been quarantine. Yeah, so um, I have a good buddy from Homedale. 
Um, Morristown, New Jersey was put on the map for me. By the way, I'm going to do a whole bunch of asides. Uh, my link to Morristown, New Jersey is uh, Chase and Amy. I was a huge Kevin Smith fan. Oh. And, and <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm way ahead of you guys. I'm so old, so much older than you guys. So that came out in the 97, I think. I've um, seen that. That's a great movie. Great, yeah. Great movie. Yeah, there was, I think, um, what's her name? I can't remember her name now. Joy Lauren Adams was from Morristown, New Jersey in that movie. And uh, that's my link to Morristown. It's a super boring story, but it takes yeah. flashbacks of, of my days watching Chase and Amy 25 times. I love I like Kevin it. Smith movies. Speaking They're Kevin awesome. Smith, somebody actually told me the Jane Silent Bob reboot was really good. So that was not what I was expecting to hear about that movie, but I may give it a shot now. Yeah. No, I was uh, – so 95 was when um, – the very first black and white film came out. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, what was it called? Uh, was that Mallrats? No, Clerks. no. Was that, oh, Clerks. Clerks. Clerks, right. Clerks came out. And then Mallrats. Mallrats was my favorite favorite Kevin Smith movie. Then he followed it up with Chase and Amy. Um, you can tell him out of the Kevin Smith loop. But back in the mid-90s, that was that was my jam. All right. Sorry about that, that quick aside. No, you're good. I like it. I like the quick asides. And we're going to get to some questions from the Pick 6 podcast friends. So for those who don't know, in addition to pretty much doing writing draft content for us, appearing on CBS Sports HQ daily multiple times a day to talk the draft. Ryan also is a member of the Pick 6 podcast, which has basically become more than a daily podcast. I can't even count how many podcasts you guys do a week. It's over During busy times of the NFL season, it's over one per day, over seven per week, and Ryan's a part of that show too. So a couple of those, a couple of those guys on the podcast ask some questions, and they're not exactly Giants draft questions related. So I'll be happy to see how Ryan approaches those because uh, – one thing I like the most about Ryan, actually, he shares that Northeast, uh, I don't want to say sarcastic, uh, yeah, sarcastic is a good way to say it, that Northeast snide, sarcastic uh, approach to, to, a lot of, to a lot of things in life, and I, I kind of enjoy that and appreciate that, so I'm excited to hear that sense of humor come out a little bit in this podcast, but we are here to also talk a, lot, a little bit about the Giants, that's what people want to hear, Ryan, so I wanted to, the first thing I wanted to ask you is this, you started this process a long time ago, like when I first joined this company in August, I was reading your 2020 draft content, so with that said, I think it's important to ask you this. What player have you changed your opinion about the most since the start of this draft process until now? And if possible, give us the player that's moved the most up for you and, and also the furthest down. So one guy that's, I don't want to say gone down, but I, I've sort of reassessed. So coming into last summer, A.J. Epinesa, the defensive end at Iowa, was a top 100 player, no questions asked, coming into the 2019 season. I had not watched him at that point. So I was eager to, to watch him, and I, and I watched um, two or three games during the season, uh, primarily to watch him and also to, to watch Tristan Wirfs, the, the right tackle, and Alaric Jackson, the left tackle. And I was sort of underwhelmed with A.J. Epinesa's game. And I, I'm just not even looking. I'm going off memory here. I remember watching him thinking he flashes. He's 6'5", 285. That's what he weighed at the combine. He flashes. He's built. My first thought was he's built like J.J. Watt in terms of he's not going to be – um, he's not going to be your, your sort of edge rusher who's 6'5", 250 and is explosive. He's not Von Miller, for example. He's more built like J.J. Watt. So I said, okay, that's going to be have to be his game plan. Um, he's not going to beat you with speed. He's going to beat you with power. And he would do it occasionally, and then he would disappear for five or six or seven snaps, and he would flash again. Um, and when he was on, he was on. And then other times he just sort of was sort of invisible. And he can also kick inside. I think he played 90 or 100 snaps inside. And I actually asked him at the Combine about – that possibility. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I haven't done a lot of it. I'm, I'm eager to do it. Incredibly nice kid, by the way. I can't stress that enough. Um, uh, humble and, and hard worker. And you got all those things just from the conversation. 
he said, I'm willing to kick inside, but I haven't done a lot of it, so I will need to work on that. And uh, then he bench pressed 17 and ran a, a 5.13 or something, 40. A not great 40 time, not great bench time. And he actually said, I sort of pattern myself after J.J. Watt in terms of the things I try to do. And he admitted, I am not J.J. Watt. I understand that. But just to give you an idea. And um, I went back and looked at J.J. Watt's numbers. Um, I think he was 6'5", maybe 293 or something at the Combine. And he ran a 4'8", and he bench pressed 225, something like you know 600 times. So that's sort of where the similarities ended. Right. So I was uh, a little unimpressed with what I saw week in and week out with A.J. Epinesa. I, I think he has an opportunity to grow into a much better player. Um, I just think it's going to take time, and the expectations have to be tempered. I don't. I wouldn't take him in the first round. If you told me he was there in the second round you took him there, I'd be fine with that. But um, he was sort of one of the guys that sticks out, and I really wanted him to, to be good, and I think he will be good, but he's not going to be – if you're thinking, oh, we got him at, at 24 or something, if you're the Saints or 23 for the Patriots, um, don't expect him to come in there and be J.J. Watt because I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, personally, Ryan, I love this call because it's, it's interesting. It's like you read my mind here. We didn't discuss this pre-pod. I know it might sound like we did, but A.J. and Vanessa is probably the one player in this class that I think – I, and I don't want to call him a – I don't want to predict bust, but if I had to predict one bust of the, of the uh, you know, often regularly mocked first-round players, it would be Evanessa because he's not J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt was 6'6". He had better length. He was really good at batting passes. He was more athletic than Evanessa and more productive at Wisconsin. As someone who, you know, watches a ridiculous amount of Big Ten football, more than I should, I think that assessment was spot on. There were times where he kind of got hot and flashed, but as we move forward to the NFL level – I don't think he's going to be able to win in the ways that he was able to win off the edge in college football. And I don't really know if I see a really good fit for him anywhere. I think he kind of has to kick inside. And I know he said, you know, he hasn't done it much. He's excited about doing it. Great guy, good personality, good work ethic, everything like that. But I don't think that he really has the, the frame and the length and the athleticism to win in that role inside like a J.J. Watt or DeForest Buckner type. And that's kind of where I see him having to win. So when you look at it overall like that, for me, that's the type of player I would not want to use a first-round pick on. To me, even though people speak of him as a safe player, I actually see him as a more risky player in the first round. So I'm really happy you brought him up, Ryan. Is there anyone who kind of did – you had the reverse process for uh, in this class? Yeah, I don't know if this is such a sleeper, but this is a kid that I, I love a lot, and I loved him as the season progressed. And then once we got into the pre-draft process, which is what I call the senior bowl, the combine, and – uh, no pro uh, pro days this year, but that would have been part of it. Uh, Denzel Mims, the wide receiver out of Baylor. Last year, he sort of got lost in the mix because it was Jalen Hurd was there. Jalen Hurd ended up being the third round pick, I believe, of the 49ers. I think he was hurt for most of the season, so he didn't play a lot, Jalen Hurd, in 2019. But he was a former running back who's like 6'2 or something. And he is built sort of like Juju Smith-Schuster. He can play in that slot role. And hopefully we'll get to see some of that. Uh, in 2020 for the 49ers when he's healthy. But in the background was Denzel Mims, who's 6'3". He might be 195. I have to look up his numbers. But he ran a blaze. I think he's sub 4'4 four, four at the combine. Ran a ridiculous three-cone drill, like 3'6-something. And um, that's great. But at the Senior Bowl is when he really started to flash. Uh, and one-on-ones, I remember watching him all three practices, and he was just dominating people. And the Senior Bowl isn't a bunch of – uh, you know, jokers out there just trying to from D3 schools have never played football before. These are legit guys who are going to go in the first, second, third round. And he he didn't have a bad day. Um, he had some concentration drops at, at Baylor. I'm not really worried about that, but I feel like he is so incredibly athletic. 
he is so fast and he's still learning the position. So he's going to be one of these guys that have to grow into the role. Baylor's offense, he was basically it. So if you have any concerns about can he beat press man, can he beat, uh, can can he make plays uh, when he's facing double teams? The answer is yes, he can because there's no one else to throw the ball to in, in that offense. And um, I, I think he has a chance to be really good. It used to be like five, six, seven years ago, you'd say, all right, you have to give the wide receiver a year or two to sort of grow into the system. I, he could come in right away. Look, if he goes to the Packers at the bottom of the first round, if he's still there, he is going to dominate with Aaron Rodgers getting him the ball. I think on some level he makes sense. Should there be a run on wide receivers early? I don't think there will be. But if he's if the, the Broncos traded down, for example, and got him at 17, 18, 19, I love him in that offense because he doesn't have to be the guy. There's Cortland Sutton. There's Noah Fant. There's Philip Lindsay and, and Melvin Gordon. And uh, he'll have a chance uh, to benefit playing alongside those guys where he's not having to carry the load. But I think throughout the process from October, November, on through the Senior Bowl and Combine, he balled out. And I, he has made himself a ton of money. I know it's a cliche. But yeah. come Coming into the um, January, he was a day day two pick probably, like best case, maybe third round, maybe late second round if, if you're taking a, a chance on him. And he just kept playing at a high level. I think he's a late first round pick. I would have no issue with him going there. Yeah, I love that call too, Ryan, because for me, Mims is a player who I think, you know, I have him love T. Higgins and I don't really care because I think that versus Higgins, who got to catch his passes from Trevor Lawrence, who was Denzel Mims catching passes from? We're talking about six foot three at the combine, 207, bigger than even you mentioned, almost 10 inch hands, 438, 40-yard dash, 38 and a half inch vertical, 131 broad inch uh, broad jump. You talked about the three cone, which shows off agility. All that stuff shows his upside. But if you watch him on tape, he separates with ease at that size versus Higgins for me, which I don't really see that kind of separation at that size. And we're talking about he has the deep speed. Oh my God! If he goes to the Packers, Ryan, that's an incredible fit for him. I think there, uh, if he can, if they, if they can get him there. So I love that call. I have Mims over Higgins and a few other guys that probably people people would probably you know bat an eye, bat an eye and be like, oh, I don't know, but but we'll see with with Mims because he's really uh, made himself some money during this pre-draft process. Oh yeah, I was down at the Senior Bowl and he was one of the just people that we just could not stop raving about. And the concerns coming into the Senior Bowl for Mims were, can he defeat press coverage? How will he release against press coverage? And what does his route tree look like? And while down there, he showed that he could do all those things at such an exceptional rate. So he really just made so much money, like you said, Ryan, spot on. And uh, another player that has made a lot of money uh, for his play, I will say, is uh, Isaiah Simmons. Do you think that um, where do you value him when it comes to um, – do you think he's going to be worthy for the Giants to invest the number four pick on him? And when did he kind of catch your eye exactly along this draft process? Uh, 2018, I was watching uh, the three fat guys that got drafted in the first – Cleveland Farrell's not fat, but Christian Wilkins and then uh, Dexter Lawrence. You guys would probably agree that he is pretty fat. But I was watching <laughs> those guys. I was watching those guys and, and Trayvon Mullen, the cornerback who was drafted by the Raiders. Um, and – he kept seeing Isaiah Simmons flash, and I, I looked him up. I said, oh, my God, this guy is a sophomore. So uh, keep an eye on him. He is all over the field. And um, that's when it started, and it's just one of those things. My immediate thought, and this is the original, a lot of people thought this, oh, that's Derwin James. But he's Derwin James who's somehow faster and somehow bigger uh, and seems to be around the ball more often. Um, I love him. I love a lot of things about him. You know what's funny, though? I was talking to – uh, NFL personnel guy back in the fall about him. And I was going over some guys with him. I basically started the conversation like this. So Isaiah Simmons, nothing with him, right? We can just move on. And he goes, well, you know what? I don't love him. And he is 
This is the only person I've I've heard say to me they're not they're not in love with with Isaiah Simmons, and he he pointed out some things that if you watch closely, and I would imagine other NFL teams ha, ha, maybe ha, sort of have these concerns, not to the point where they're not going to take him in the first round. And, and this person didn't say that they, that he wasn't a first round pick, just that he's not a, a slam dunk um, Chase Young type player, for example. He can't match in man coverage sometimes, and um, you know he plays a lot of zone, and that's fine depending on what you want him to do. But that's just something to keep in mind that he's not a man-to-man guy, so he's not gonna. Is he gonna match up with Travis Kelsey? Uh, I would love to see it, but I mean, the other the, the other side of that argument is who who can match up with Travis Kelsey? Um, he's not always a great tackler, um, and you sort of see that sometimes. He doesn't take on blocks, um, and these are all things that that the personnel guy was telling me about. And I was like, my jaw was on the floor. Uh, he falls off too many tackles at the point of attack, um, and he's he's better in zone um, than he is a man. So those are some of the concerns. But that at the end of the day, in my mind, he's still a top five pick. And if I'm Dave Gettleman, and gosh, so if I'm Dave Gettleman and Jedrick Wills is there, he's my favorite offensive tackle, and Isaiah Simmons is there, and you can't trade out a number four, what are you doing? Uh, that's a tough call for me. Like either way, I'm fine with. I would try to trade out of that and maybe jump ahead on the rundown here. But um, I don't know. Like Jedrick Wills to me is as good an offensive tackle as Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker slash safety in terms of the value he's going to bring to protecting Daniel Jones. And if that's high on the to-do list, and I would imagine it is, and you guys can tell me better than I can tell you as Giants fans, I would lean towards offensive tackle. Um, I know Derwin James got hurt last year, but I'm trying to do the math. With the the with the Chargers having better last year, with a legit left and or right tackle like a premier Pro Bowler, or having a healthy Derwin James in terms of keeping Philip Rivers upright and, and having him not throw 500 interceptions, I think the answer is an offensive tackle, like a, a legit Pro Bowler. And knowing that, and for as much as I love Isaiah Simmons, I think I, I've talked myself into taking Jedrick Wells there at number four. Well, there's a lot to touch on there, and we're going to actually get to a bunch of this. So I'll save some of it um, because, because I'm sure you want to expand a little bit on this. But that's kind of where we're driving at always when we have, when we have the guests on. What would you do? And we'll, we'll we'll wrap up the podcast basically by asking you, you know, how would your ideal draft go if you were the GM? But before we dive into any of that, I want to do I want to talk a little bit about Simmons because I do think that's the best way. That's the best thing you can you can really say with Simmons while he can be used in a lot of different ways. Maybe you'll be able to match up with Kelsey in the tight ends. You know, maybe you'll be able to, you'll be able to have game plans with him. Like you saw Clemson do in that uh, na- uh, national championship semifinal game against Ohio state where they took a, where they used Simmons to kind of take away an aspect of Ohio state's passing game uh, out of the backfield that really changed what Ohio state could do on offense. Now Ohio state adjusted and started moving the ball late, um, but you know, not late, but in the middle of that game, but it, it did kind of change there. But I think the kind of floor with Simmons is that Derwin James type player. And for me, it's a really good question, Ryan, because I think that the reason that defense was so good in the 2018 season, the Chargers, was was because of James. I know it sounds crazy to say, but if you look at that defense last year for the Chargers versus the year before, there wasn't really much that changed about it besides James was injured for the whole year. And it took a huge step back for the Chargers. And they were, went from a 13-win team to a team that is playing from behind. Their quarterback is old. He's chucking passes up. He's trying to make things happen and throwing interceptions he never threw because his team was playing from behind uh, a lot more often than they had. So it's a really good question for me, Ryan. And I think it kind of leads us into our second question because 
one thing we've debated with Giants fans throughout this whole offseason is, yes, if you could tell me that there is an Isaiah Simmons type prospect uh, at, at the offensive tackle position, I would go offensive tackle too. It's a bigger need. But I'm not positive I see one of these tackles in that regard. So I want to ask you this about the big four off tackles. Do you see any of them? And you kind of hinted at this, but you can expound on it, standing out above the rest. And then for that standpoint, do you see any of them worthy of going number four overall? Yeah, I sort of uh, gave that answer away. I love Jedrick Wells. Um, I was talking to a scout during the season, and I was at the time Alex Leatherwood, the Alabama left tackle, had not declared that he was going to return to school. And I was watching um, both those guys, and he said to me, he said, look, man, it's not even close. <laughs> Wills is so much better than Leatherwood. Just just keep watching. And as the season progressed, uh, it became clear he's, a, he's an animal. I mean, he is built like a fire truck, but he moves extremely well. Um, and, yeah, he looks just like a run blocker. He can pass block, and, and he's very technically sound. He has really good footwork. He has really good hand usage. He studies a lot, so you, you watch him work against guys, and you know that he has a plan. He's not just out there um, sort of going through the motions. And um, I don't know how you guys are in Nate Solder, but he's still under contract, so he, he's coming back, and presumably he'll play better than he did last year. If he doesn't, then that, that, that's, that's an issue. But um, solidify the right side of Jedrick Wells. He is a right tackle. He's not a left tackle. I, don't, I think that matters less now than, than it has in years past. Um, next is Tristan Werfs for me, just because he is so insanely athletic and he's still incredibly young. He can play right tackle, but he can also play left tackle. So he has that versatility, and the athleticism is, is off the charts good. He needs to get a little better, a uh, little more technically sound. But look, that'll come with with reps. He's 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 young. Um, then it's uh, Andrew Thomas and Mackay Becton are, are pretty similar to me in terms of where I have them rated. Uh, they're different type players. Obviously, Mackay Becton is three sixty seven or whatever, fourteen or seventeen percent body fat. I actually asked him at the combine because I was curious because he played basketball in high school, which is a surprise because he's six seven. But he said, "Yeah, I can go out there. I can go out there right now and, and flat foot reverse dunk two hand, no problem." And that, that's just a hint as, at his athleticism. And he just ragdolls guys. It is it's fun to watch unless you're like you know the person that's getting ragdolled. But I'm not talking about safeties and cornerbacks who are trying to blitz and he's just sort of tossed them aside like you would a fly. These guys weigh 250, 260. Like, yes, Notre Dame, Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem both um, had to deal with, with the blunt force trauma of Mackay Becton swatting them to the ground. And no disrespect to those guys. Those guys are really good players. Those guys are going to get drafted. But Mackay Becton is an animal. But the question is fit, and is he going to be able to stay at that weight? Is he, what, what are the issues there? And I don't have a sense for that. And Andrew Thomas is a little more technically sound. He can play right and left tackle. He played right tackle early in his career, and then he, he was really good at left tackle. A um, little sloppy in the footwork, but again, you can fix those things. These are the top four tackles. I think if they all went top 14, the Buccaneers have the 14th pick, I would not be surprised, surprised at all. But I would go Wills and then Werfs, and then Beckton or Thomas, whatever the, the Giants feel like better fits what they're trying to do. But but that would be my order uh, if they were going to go off into tackle at four. And now let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all 
online, which is awesome, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, American Idol, Big Brother, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Yeah, I mean, listen. For me, it's interesting that you break it down. And I know, Nick, you probably want to jump in here when it comes to the offense tackles. You've been studying them. Nick kind of, a few podcasts ago, kind of turned the corner and basically out and basically came out and said, Wills is now my OT1. And and, and since then, I kind of looked more into Wills as well and kind of in comparison to worse. Because for me, I have my own issues with Thomas. I think he was a little bit hidden by that Georgia pass. And I've said this before on the podcast, but by that Georgia play-action heavy passing uh, game that they use. And it, he, did, he did have a little bit of help as well, more help than the other tackles, I thought. Um, and then again, in that, and when you look at the combine, I don't want to go too much off the combine, but there are a few drills that really stand out to me for the offense tackle position. Number one, the short shuttle. Number two, the three cone. And in those regards, Thomas just really isn't on the level I want him to be for a top four pick. But as far as Wills goes, really what you said is exactly what stood out to me when I started to watch more and break it down. It's that one, he's a lot better in pass protection than people realize. He's better than Worfs in pass protection. He's better than, I think he's better than all four in pass protection. I think he has awesome footwork there. He is, he, he's really good with his vertical pass set and he uses his hands really well too. So when you mention all those things, plus what I've read about his preparation in and out, game in, game out preparing for the defensive ends. You saw it uh, when he uh, matched up. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Chase on. It was either Chase on or it was, no, it was the edge rusher from Tennessee that people like. Um, forget the name. I'm sorry, Taylor, right? Yeah, Daryl Taylor. Yeah. And when you watch that tape against Taylor, he just seems to know every single move that Taylor wants to, to throw at him uh, as a pass rusher. So to me, that really stood out. And Wills has started to move up my board. He's my OT1 now as well. And I think that, you know, I'm starting to come around to the idea of taking him at four. Yeah, there's no doubt there. I totally agree. Will's footwork is just masterful. I have the same exact uh, order as you do uh, when it comes to how you rank these guys. And one thing about Becton is I wish that he had kind of more of a uh, more of a track record of playing because it just seems like this year was the year where he kind of like really came out of his shell. And I know he's like struggled with weight issues. So there's kind of a lot of uh, variables there that kind of just concern me when it comes to uh, his game. I feel like I don't like just labeling, labeling people boom or bust, but I feel like he might have a higher bust potential than the other three just because those variables are there. When it comes to Wills' just footwork, his ability to move, and his effectiveness in the run game, I feel like he's OT1 easily, but I don't see that as a consensus among draft Twitter and things like that. But one player that is the consensus, number one for their respective positions, is edge rusher Chase Young. And I really got to ask you, Ryan, is there any way the Giants can get their hands on him at four? Well, so here's the thing. If a team trades up at the Redskins, or if the Redskins stupidly take Tua on their own, uh, which they can't, they just can't do it. My colleague, Will Brinson, has been perpetrating this myth, I think, just to draw attention to himself. He's the P.T. Barnum of the Pick 6 podcast. Uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity in his mind. So that's idiotic. You can't draft Tua at number two. You can trade down and get a stockpile of picks because the Redskins are terrible. I understand that. But let's say a team moves up to number two and gets um, Tua. That's who they want. Now, if you're the Lions, Matt Patricia has one year to fix this thing, or he's getting fired. I think that's pretty clear. That's been made clear to him after two substandard years, and after watching Jim Caldwell go 9-7 and seven in back-to-back years and get fired. So at three, are you passing on Chase Young 
to trade down and let say the Dolphins or the Chargers or whoever the the Panthers or the Jaguars move up should they want to for um, a quarterback. Ugh, that's a tough sell for Matt Patricia, but this, he's also the same guy that they got rid of Darius Slay, um, even though he was the best player on that defense. So I, I think I've had to give it uh, a probability percent. I would say there's like maybe a 10% chance, and that actually feels kind of high. Eight to 10% chance that Chase Young is there at four, but that just means there's a run on quarterbacks at two and three, and the Lions have decided to pass on Chase Young to get a bunch of uh, draft picks, which I, I can understand on some level. But So I'll give it eight to 10% chance, but I feel like if you're the Redskins, just take him at two. Don't overcomplicate it. Start rebuilding your team with a guy who's going to give you the similar type production to, to Nick Bosa last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board and lockstep with you there. I don't, I completely agree with you on that take with the Redskins. I, I guess Brinson's per, you know, pushing that. But for me, I'll, I'll start by saying this, and this will dive in. This will lead nicely into the next question, Ryan. But for me, Tua is not the prospect that some people think he is. I have my issues with Tua. If you, for example, if this was a class and Tua was completely healthy and it was Kyler Murray was in this class, I wouldn't even hesitate to take Murray over Tua. I think Murray is a way more natural thrower with better arm talent than Tua. I get that people like Tua's anticipation. I think it's a lot. It's very easy to, to like his anticipation when he has that offensive line and those three wide receivers running routes for him. But for me, for Tua, I don't like his throwing motion. And I've seen that throwing motion fail many times at the NFL level. I've seen that's that transition from the college game to the NFL game that People, you know, don't put give enough credit to, but that extra half second, whatever it may be, even if it's less than a half second, when you're when you have that kind of loopy-ish, and it's not loopy, but it's loopy-ish throwing motion, it can sometimes come back to kill you at the NFL level. And when you factor that in with the fact that he also really, he really, to me, he really needs a clean base to really get that deep game going. Um, and he had it a lot at Alabama, so it was nice. But there were times where he didn't have it. And for me, when you factor all that in with the with the injury history, with his size. Uh, fact, you know, combined with that injury factor, uh, you know, for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take Tua at two, and I, I like that call. I, I'd hesitate to take Tua in this draft personally. I'm not as high on Tua as others are, and I see the upside for sure there. I mean, it's obvious; like you can just see it. But I don't know, Nick. Do you, do you feel any differently here? I would feel much more comfortable with Tua if there was a normal pre-draft process where people can actually test out his hip to see how effective he can really be because I mean that that what's going on right now in the world significantly affects the pre-draft process and their ability to get these medical checks and that's just something when it comes to this hip injury that is going to be concerning and he has a lot of other injuries that just kind of when you combine everything together it, it's definitely going to be a team that must or is going to have to feel really comfortable in a is medical checks and all the concerns that you brought up and hopefully he has a solid offensive line and hopefully he doesn't try to extend plays like he did in college and put himself into these precarious situations because uh, it's just something that uh, for me would just be a, a risk right now giving all of the variables that are kind of attached with Tua Tungavailoa and I just wanted to say his last name there but as of now Ryan. How do you see the top 10 of the draft playing out? Do you think there's going to be any trades? And how many quarterbacks do you think will go off the board uh, by the 10th pick? Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a ton of trades. Um, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually, actually, I was just thinking, I got to, let me respond to Tua real quick. Cause I was thinking as you guys were talking, I actually like Tua a lot. And I, if we assume that he's a hundred percent, I think he's probably even in terms of uh, where I have him graded with Kyler Murray. You're right. Much better arm Dan. Um, Kyler does. 
But you talk to people in in the league, and what they love about Tua in terms of his on-field stuff is that he actually moves be- – he's better on the run sort of freelancing than he is even in the pocket. So presumably he can get better in the pocket. And Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs both separately told us uh, at the Combine – um, Rugg said his ability, his accuracy on, on deep balls is insane. And Judy said his anticipation, you sort of touched on it, Dan, and finding these incredibly tight windows is off the charts on these short and intermediate passes. And you, you, you have to take that into account. Now, I will say this. We don't know how healthy he is, and we keep hearing doctors say he's 100% or this is the best that, that could have possibly happened. That's all great. But, Nick, you mentioned he's had both the ankle injuries, surgeries, and then, of course, the, the hip injury. He had a broken finger or something at some point last year, two years ago. But if you're the Dolphins and you have three first-round picks, and we know that franchise quarterbacks taking the first round pan out 50% of the time, if you're like, you know what, there's a 33% chance that Tua pans out, screw it. We're going to blow a fifth round, uh, the number five pick on it because why not? I would rather be wrong and have him than be wrong uh, and, and him blowing up, and, and we're stuck with Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever, Josh Rosen. So I understand that thinking. It's going to be some risk involved because we just don't know. All right, so that's just my my addendum to, to the Tua conversation because I actually do like him, and I think he's a first-round pick if he's healthy, and healthy being 80% right now because I think you, you're willingly going to take a risk on him. So the trades in the first round, I think it starts with two. We sort of talked about it there. I do want to make, before you dive into that, I do want to make sure that I didn't come across as saying I don't like Tua. I would still have him as my QB, too. And and, that's, and like you said, I, I'm with you entirely from what you just said, broke down from a logical standpoint of the quarterback position. I would 100% take, take a risk on Tua. And for that matter, honestly, I think even though I don't really like Justin Herbert's game, we'll touch on it in a second, I think if you put him in a system similar to what the Bills have done with Josh Allen, almost identical to that, I think he's worth, again, worth the risk because like you said, you got to land that quarterback. If you're it, besides the for me, besides the trenches, the quarterback is the most important thing, and that goes above the trenches. Once you you know, once you have that, you can go either direction, find which one you want to find first. But I still I see all the upside with two, and I think you, you you nailed it with the anticipation and the deep accuracy, especially the deep accuracy is something that kind of you know people didn't talk about with Daniel Jones, who had at Duke last season. He was re- he was number one in uh, accuracy on deep and adjusted accuracy according to Pro Football Focus on deep passes in that entire class. So something to definitely think about because it could translate to the next level. But I did want to mention that before you moved on to the quarterbacks. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not totally anti to it. All right. So what I'm hearing Dan is that you hate Tua. got it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> gotcha. uh, okay. So yeah, so my, the top 10, how's it going to unfold? So Burrow's obviously going number one. If I'm the Redskins, I, I take Chase Young unless it's some insane RG three offer. I don't know if that's going to come um, just because of the issues we're talking about Tua. If you're the Lions, you should be in prime position I would imagine the Dolphins will move up. And then the question becomes, what do the Giants do at four? We know Dave Gettleman historically doesn't like to move around in the first round. Um, we'll see. He's sort of like Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. He knows that this is uh, put-up-or-shut-up time, so maybe he'll be a little more open to listening to the analytics guys as I make the typewriter motion uh, to Dave Gettleman. So would they trade down? They should think about it. Now, who would be willing to trade up? The Chargers, are they interested in Justin Herbert? They should be. I've heard they're not crazy about Jordan Love. Um, we'll see. I like Jordan Love better than Justin Herbert. The Panthers could be, but they also have uh, – they signed Teddy Bridgewater. They signed um, the, the XFL kid, P.J. Walker, and um, they have Will Gurd last year's third-round pick, who I thought should have gone in the sixth round, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the Jaguars at nine. Now, that's a team that I, I I haven't heard anything about their plans. If you talk to Pete Prisco, my colleague who lived in Jacksonville forever and covered the Jaguars, he wants them to take offensive and defensive tackles with their two first-round picks. But – it's Gardner Minshew, and that's it. So 
if plan B involves getting better at quarterback, I think that's a, a realistic uh, scenario where maybe they move up. And one other team I'll point to that could move up if things, if we talk about these offensive tackles, there's a run on offensive tackles, like three go off the board in the first seven or eight picks. I want to see what the Buccaneers do because they currently don't have a right tackle on their depth chart. And their quarterback is going to be 43 years old. And I imagine they're not going to go out there to four offensive linemen and try to try to do something. So they have to figure that out. They trade up and get Werfs or, or Wills and they give up their second round pick. I have zero issue with that just because um, you have to protect Tom Brady. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you my uh, Monday on Monday. I don't know, I'm not sure when the podcast is coming out, but Monday I have a seven round mock draft coming out. I do not recommend anyone do that. It was uh, incredibly tedious, and I'm not better for doing it. But I didn't have any trades, but here's how my, my first round went. I went Burrow, Chase Young, and then the Lions they put take, take Jeffrey Akuda, who I absolutely love. The Giants get Jedrick Wills. I sort of hinted at that earlier. Dolphins get Tua. The Chargers, and this is my favorite pick in the top ten, take Isaiah Simmons. They're like, you know what? Anthony Lynn is all in on um, Tyrod Taylor. He keeps saying that. I, I Let's just assume it's true. Here's the direction you go, and I was actually talking to someone at Chargers.com about this because they want Akuda or Simmons at six. So I was like, I, I like this. So you take Akuda or Simmons at six, whoever's there, if you're the Chargers. Now that defense is off the charts insanely good, and your first order of business is, all right, Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, bring it on. Let's see what you can do against this. And I actually want to see that. I want to see how that works. Tyrod Taylor, unlike Phillip Rivers, doesn't turn the ball over. He also doesn't take a bunch of chances. But you have to. More of an opportunity to stay in football games, I feel like, if you stack that defense with someone like Simmons or Akuda, that just makes it virtually impossible to have sustained success. The exception, of course, is unless you're Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes. But I want to see that, and I sort of like that. Seven, the Panthers go Derek Brown. Tristan Wirfs goes to the Cardinals at eight. Justin Herbert at nine to the Jags. And then Andrew Thomas falls to the Browns, who need offensive line help. So that's my top ten for Monday's seven-round mock draft. I like that a lot. And you know what? If you put... Simmons or Akuda on that Chargers defense that we're talking potentially, especially if Bosa can stay healthy. He's kind of battled that uh, throughout his career, but and both their edge guys are kind of battling injuries, but if they can get a healthy season out of those edge guys and, you know, Derwin James returns, Isaiah Simmons adds that defense. I'm pretty sure they signed Linville Joseph and a few others in free agency that intrigued me. That Chris, could be number one. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Chris Harris is there now too. Chris Harris. You're right. They got Harris too. So whew, we're talking about a potential top 10 defense and, I think you, you bring up some interesting points, especially with the Bucks potentially being a trade partner. If Dave Gettleman does kind of t- change his tune and maybe trade back in this draft, because he hinted at it, and, you know, we can look back at his first two offseasons with the Giants, and things that he hinted at came true. He hinted that Saquon Barkley was, a, in his mind, a gold jacket player, and then he didn't even hesitate to take Saquon Barkley, didn't even listen to trade offers, put, turned the pick in with five minutes to go and said that he would have done it. Uh, right with 10 minutes ago if the NFL had allowed him. And then similar thing with Daniel Jones last offseason, kind of hinted that he liked him a lot and ended up drafting him. So Dave Gettleman doesn't hit, doesn't hide what he likes, even though he, he hasn't really said much about anyone in uh, specific in this draft class. So that's interesting. But those are probably the potential trade partners. Ryan kind of outlined them. And I think Bucks are the Chargers people talk about maybe coming up for Herbert or, or um or love potentially or two if he falls. But I think what Ryan says might be their best move actually just sitting there. So maybe not as many trade partners as, as we thought with the giants, but I did want to kind of shift the focus a little bit, Ryan, to a a little, to a position, maybe the giants fans are more interested in. And I would say this, if you had to put your money down, Ryan, on any edge player in this class, not named chase young, 
Who would it be, and is there any chance he lasts the number 36 overall? I like Caleb on Chase on a lot, but again, going back to the fall when I watched him initially, he looked to be a little bit undersized, and he didn't flash as much as I liked. But he hasn't been playing edge rusher a lot, so um, I think he's going to get better, and he's going to—he he actually showed up pretty big at the combine. He was probably close to 250, and he's explosive, and, and you like that. He—I don't think he'll be there at, at 36. He feels like a mid to mid-round, mid-first-round guy. Like if he went to the Bucks, it's, uh, excuse me, the Falcons at 16, or the Cowboys at 17, I could see that, or maybe even down if he lasted to the bottom of the first round, went to Seattle. Um, Thurgood Gross Matos could be there out of Penn State. He's um, he's raw, but he's big, and um, he has a chance to, to to be more explosive. He's not as bendy as, as Chase on, but but I like him when I watch him play. Um, I mentioned Epinesa. I don't know if he's a good fit, and he's not the explosive sort of edge rusher you're looking for. Terrell Lewis, I love. Now the issue with Terrell Lewis um, out of out of Alabama is ACL in 2018, and he had a serious elbow injury. I think it was that cost him uh, some time in 2017. And injuries are, are a big part of the evaluation that we sort of sometimes overlook, and I get it because we're sort of just watching the players and not not watching the injuries. But that's something you have to take into consideration. He had a great year last year. Um, there were times that he he didn't show up, and it's funny. I was talking to to a personnel guy about it, and he goes, "Yeah, I think he was just making some business decisions in the <laughs> sense, that, you know, he was like, look, I'm getting paid. I'm not trying to get hurt out here.' And teams understand that, and I don't think in general they hold it against these players. Right. They're not getting paid. So you have to take that in consideration as well. Um, I like him a lot. Josh Uche out of Michigan is undersized, but he is quick off the ball. But he, So you have to use him sort of as a as sort of a focused pass rusher. He's not going to be a three-down player right away. Um, and Zach Bond out of Wisconsin, who is another smallish guy, but he, he shows up. And you know this better than I do, Dan. You're a Wisconsin guy. And um, not only can he play on the edge – I feel like you can play a weak side linebacker if you want. I, I know he'd rather play on the edge, but he has that sort of versatility and sort of athleticism. I feel like those are those are some guys that could be there at the top of the second round. Yeah, I love that. And obviously, those who listen to this podcast know we've, we've talked about Bond probably more than any player in this pre-draft process. And that versatility might be exactly what Joe Judge needs. But before we turn the page on that edge position, I do have one player that you didn't mention that's one of the favorites of uh, Nick and mine, especially at 36, and also kind of somebody we feel like is really only discounted because of the injury. How about Julian Aquara uh, off the edge? What are your thoughts on him at a Notre Dame? Yeah, no, I just missed him. You're exactly right. So I think he had the, he broke his his shin or his leg or something in November, and he's fine now. Um, Brady Quinn, uh, our colleague CBS Sports, obviously Notre Dame guy, loves him, and I think he loves him for more than the fact that he went to Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, he's a really good player. In fact, nice seven seven rounder. I'm trying to think. I think I had him going. To yeah, I had him lasting till the third round, which is sort of late. Usually, I'm going to the second, but I had him going to the to the Lions, where he joins his brother who plays there now. But I I like him, uh, and I think he's only going to get better. I like him more. He's more athletic than Khalid Kareem, who played on the other side at Notre Dame. Um, Kareem's a little more consistent, but it depends on what you're looking for. Kareem's a better edge setter. I think Aquara has has the upside to be a, a really good pass rusher. Um, I certainly like him better than O'Shane Zimenez, who was last year's third round pick, and I liked him a lot going into the draft last year. I thought that he um, was a third rounder and I thought it was a good get by, uh, by the giants there. And I think Aquar is probably around a round and a half uh, better player right now. So yeah, at the top of the second makes a ton of sense. And I think one of those sort of the broken leg thing is one of those things that it's not as much as a concern as an ACL, for example. So absolutely. 
Yeah, I just got done watching some Aquara, and the knock on him seems to be just like edge setting, and he doesn't have a lot of sand in his ass to be that consistent edge setter. But I really like the pop that he has in his hands as a pass rusher, and he has gigantic hands, and I feel like he uses them really well. You see the athleticism. He has a lot of lower body flexion and a lot of things that you're kind of looking for, that twitch, that burst off the edge. So I really like uh, the fact that uh, he could be an option for the Giants at 36. I think he can be a uh, somebody who would step in and possibly be the pass rusher, <laughs> the number one pass rusher for the Giants, because there's just a dearth of talent there right now, depending on how O'Shane kind of develops. I have a lot of, uh, uh, I think he can develop into a really good player as well. But uh, I wanted to ask you, Ryan, who is your favorite prospect that will still be on the board at the start of day three? Oh, start of day three. All right, let's see who we got here. I'm looking through my seven round, seven, seven round mock draft. Uh, a guy I love. And during the middle of the season, I was saying to myself, okay, I want to see how this plays out like in October, late October, early November, because I loved Devin DuVernay's game, Texas slot receiver, track star. And for a time there, I was like, is there much of a difference between him and Justin Jefferson? Clearly the answer is yes. Um, But DuVernay didn't have a great senior bowl. I wish he'd shown that a little more there. He's more of a uh, catch the ball in the flat and just bowl you over. Uh, He runs the ball like a running back, and then he has that speed. Once he gets in the open field, that's a wrap. But I thought he did a lot of really good things in Texas, and I feel like he's a guy, for example, if he's in the Saints, I mean, it's going to be lights out in that offense with him getting the ball in the slot with Michael Thomas and now Manny Sanders on the other side. And I think he has a chance to be really special. Will he be as good as Justin Jefferson? I don't think so. Justin Jefferson doesn't run as – he doesn't look as fast on, on tape as, as he did in the combine. I was really happy for him that he was 6'1", 205 or whatever, ran a 4'4'3", I think is what it was, um, because he is a first-round pick. But um, DuVernay is a guy that, that I kept my eye on during the season, didn't have a great senior bowl, but I feel like he could certainly find a home and have a lot of success. And another guy that I love a lot in that same similar role is James Prochet out of uh, SMU. Um, I kept my eye on him at the senior bowl, too. He didn't flash. But the guy doesn't drop anything. He's undersized. I don't know what he ran at the combine. I don't think it was necessarily fast. Maybe four or five and something. But um, I still love that kid. And uh, he can return kicks. And his hands are out of this world. You go watch any SMU game, and he is not dropping anything, even though he has sort of that small catch radius. If it's near him, he's going to make a play. And that's another guy that can excel in the right system where he's not the number one or number two target. You can sort of just have him patrol the middle of the field, and he'll just dominate. And I love, love the call on both of those players, Ryan. For, for starters, I mean, this is not the first time we've heard Duvernay. The last, we had Jordan Reed on the last podcast, and he pinpointed him. And, and Prochet is a guy that I'm really happy to point out because that's someone I talked about on the last podcast. I think that these are, these are just guys that, you know, are going to be there on day three at the wide receiver position and have so much upside. And we're not even touching on all of them. Isaiah Hodgkins, Quintez Cephas. There's so many day three wide receivers that you look at that could easily be the next Darius Slayton or the Darius Slayton of this draft class, you know, and I don't know if I'm missing out on anyone else. I know McLaurin was, was a day two pick, but as far as day three picks who stood out right away last season, at the wide receivers, wide receiver position, Slayton comes to mind for starters. I'm not sure if I'm missing on any others, but there to me seems like there's going to be a dearth of them coming from this draft class, Ryan. And, you know, that just makes me think I, I would have a tough time drafting a wide receiver in the first two rounds, no matter what my team needs were. I really would. Even if you're a team like the Eagles, if I know I can get 
if I could maybe, you know, double up, double dip in rounds two and three at wide receiver position, or maybe, you know, round two and then find a guy like Duvernay or a guy like Prochet or Hodgkins in round four, I'd rather take another position in round one and round three or something like that. So I'm happy you pointed those guys out. You know, it just adds to what, what we've been talking about on this podcast for the last two months. You're going to be able to find wide receiver value on day three, and we hope the Giants pick one of those guys. Um, but speaking of, you know, value, is there any player the opposite way in this draft class that you just simply don't buy the hype on? Day three or any at any point? You can say at any point. Oh, I'll throw this guy out there. and You can actually rebut this. Um, I haven't watched him in a while. I watched him during the season, watched a couple games. Tyler Biotish, he came into the season as, you know, first-round conversation at center. I thought he struggled the games that I watched this year. I watched two games, and I think I have him going, like, in day early day three. So I have him going to the Buccaneers, actually, in the fourth round. And that's actually – they need depth center, and I think that's fine. But in terms of the center class and the guys who stepped up, it starts with Cesar Reeves in Michigan. And you probably don't want to hear that. Lloyd Cushenberry to LSU. I like him a lot. Nick Harris, uh, he's okay. I think Matt Hennessy at Temple's a little better. Um, Nick Harris didn't have as good a season as I was hoping. He's a little small. I was standing next to him. I don't know if you had the opportunity next to stand next to him with the combine. He wasn't big at all. I was sort of surprised how small he was at the senior bowl, excuse me. Um, but Tyler Biotis, I was hoping for more because there's always, there always feels like there's, there's a shortage of interior offensive linemen. Um, and usually in the first round, sometimes years, some years are better than other others, obviously. But I, I wanted to have uh, some guys I could point to and Biotis, just didn't do it for me this year. So, Dan, you can tell me if I if I missed out by not watching every single Wisconsin game that Nick uh, that Biotish was better than than perhaps I'm giving him credit for. So, actually, I think your assessment of Biotish based on the 2019 season is spot on. It's 100%, and I would not argue with that at all. But with Biotish, here's the thing: what you're banking on is that 2019 you can throw it out the window because in 2019 he played through multiple injuries, and it's pretty clear when you watch him in 2018 versus 2019 that you're watching a completely different player and for me that leads me to believe okay it's the injuries because I just can't see a player taking regressing so much uh, from 2018 to 2019 if the injuries aren't a role especially when you look at it and he had multiple injuries during the 2019 season so what if you're drafting Biotis who by the way I actually think is one of the best values in the draft now because he has that injury plague 2019 tape that people are going to look at and potentially that could drop him. And I actually don't think it will actually drop him as much as the projections show right now, because I think a lot of people will kind of bank on the fact that, you know, we can throw out the 2019 tape. And if you're drafting him, what you're hoping is you're getting the player you saw on tape in 2018 and you're banking on the fact that you're getting a Wisconsin lineman and look at the history of the NFL. There have been countless Wisconsin linemen, both on the interior and on the edge that have made that transition to the NFL well. But with the exception of Gabe Karimi, who completely flamed out for the Bears uh, at right tackle and they took him, uh, you know, five, ten years ago, somewhere in that range, pretty much all of the top prospects at that from that school have hit. Joe Thomas, Kevin Zeitler, uh, Travis Frederick, the list goes on and on. You can just find Wisconsin linemen. And, and really, the same goes for Iowa football, too. And these are just two programs that really teach the position well. And that's so important coming over to the NFL because there's so little time now in training camp, especially this offseason. We don't even know what's going to happen from that standpoint. But in general, there's less time to teach the position. So I think from that standpoint, I still like Biotish. But I agree with you. If you're just looking at 2019 tape, he's definitely someone that you should, should you know, it's barely a, a day three pick. Nope, that's good to know. I didn't know about the injury history. And those are the things. Like as uh, online draft uh, critics, you don't have all the information. That's why it's important to talk to people 
Um, so I will make a note of that. And the next time I talk to uh, someone, I'll, I'll bring that up. Another name quickly, as I was just uh, as you were defending uh, your badger honor, another name that, that came across that I have. I've never gotten the hype uh, on this guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. And I feel bad about calling out guys and, and teenagers, 19, 20, 21 year olds. But the reality is he's not a first round pick. Uh, Raekwon Davis, the defensive tackle at Alabama. I remember people talking about him in 2018 and I watched him turn on the turn on the game. And I was like, I don't get it. So um, this summer I watched a few more games, didn't get it. Watched him this season, I didn't get it. And I was talking to Scott about him because sometimes you see someone with that size at that frame and the, the ability to move and you want to will them into being something that they just haven't been able to become. And I think that's where we are in Raquan Davis. He feels like a third round pick to me. If he went in the second round, okay. I'm sure some team ha- has different ideas of how they would use him, but um, he offers nothing in the pass rush. He, he's, he's okay against the run. He's not necessarily stout at the point of attack. Um, there's just a lot of issues with, I thought he should play, should have been playing much better than he did. It just never sort of came together. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense when it comes to, uh, yeah, Davis, he's just left so much out there that his hype was so big going into the uh, last several seasons. He just never lived up to it, which has been a disappointment coming out of Alabama, but we have, uh, some listener questions we wanted to ask you. And a uh, Mike L actually asks, who are some day two players that you would like to see the Giants target. Now we've outlined Okwara and a couple others. Do you have any others that you think the Giants may get at 36 or 99? So here's what I'll do. I'll read the guys that I have them going in the seven round mock draft and you can grade how terrible these picks are, whether you agree. (laughs) You mentioned Jedrick Wills, number four. I think you guys are okay with that. Um, Xavier McKinney is there at 36 and I had them taking Xavier McKinney because I love his versatility. He can play deep safety. He can play strong safety. He can play in the slot. He can blitz off the edge. Uh, he, he does a whole assortment of things. And I like the idea of him, um, on the back end of that giants defense. I think you guys would probably agree the giants defense needs to get better. So I'll pause there. Any issues with McKinney at 36, if he's there, see my, my, my oh. thing with McKinney is, do you do you feel like he can uh, do the single high role at a consistent level? Because I feel like he's good at a lot of things, but he doesn't necessarily – that's not his uh, best trait is to be able to have the range to be a single high safety. Do you do you think that he could execute that? Um, I'm trying to think. I, I like him overall better than Delpit. Delpit's a better center fielder. So I think his versatility is what makes him more attractive, McKinney. But I don't know if you want to leave him there – all the time. In that case, maybe you want to take Ashton Davis, or for example, out of Cal, who's a track guy and who who actually admitted that he feels more comfortable playing center field. But in terms of versatility, I think that's why I went with McKinney there. I think I have Ashton Davis going later in the second round. Yeah. Um, and I'll mention some other names, and you guys can can um, thumbs up or let thumbs me, down. Let me first grade. Oh, yeah. this Go ahead. I, I want to jump in. I'm giving this pick an A plus, Ryan. A plus, not even an A, an A plus, because for me. Even though I do kind of have a little worry with what Nick said, is he going to fill the exact role the Giants need, that deep half safety role? I don't care when you can get what, in my opinion, is a top 15 player in this entire class. That's how high I am on McKinney. Like you said, he does a little bit of everything very well. And I actually have seen flashes of him in that deep half role to the point where, okay, I'm not sold that he could definitely do it, but I think it's possible when in addition to everything else he can do, which is including matchup in the slot and play in the box and attack downhill. For me, he's a top 15 player on my big board, so I would love the pick. I'd give it an A+. All right. Well, that's uh, good. That makes me feel a little better. (laughs) Uh, All right. So round three, the bottom round three, they had the, I think it's a comp pick, right? 99? Yeah. 
So uh, I'll be interested to how you, how you guys feel about this. I had them taking Antonio Gandy, Gandy Golden, the, the big wide receiver out of Liberty. And that my think, I'll give you my thinking. I know you guys mentioned you love DuVernay. Um, he was there at the top of the fourth, so they could have taken him here as well. Um, Darius Slayton's a smaller receiver. Um, what's his face, the the guy they got from the Seahawks? Uh, yeah, Golden Tate's a smaller receiver. Um, so my thought was let's give Daniel Jones a big target, uh, a guy who, who – certainly flashed at Liberty. He didn't have a bad senior bowl. Um, Antonio Gandy golden at number 99. What do you think? Well, me personally, I'm hoping because the, there's such a deep wide receiver class that the giants would be able to get someone like Gandy golden a little bit after pick 99. Cause I feel like there's Gandy golden probably ranks what, like like the top 15 receivers, but there's, there are so many good receivers. And if I'm investing in the wide receiver position, I don't know if Michael Pittman jr. Was around there. I have a higher grade on him than I do with Gandy golden, but he's, he's gone. Nick, oh, he's gone. Which of the jets. Like, <laughs> oh, he went to the Jets. He's going to the same city, though, playing in the same stadium. Breaking my heart. Yeah, now I would like to try to get – because I did a mock draft recently, and uh, I was hoping that the Giants could get Gandy Gold in the fifth round. That's probably a little bit too much of a uh, you know glass-half-full kind of mentality. But, uh, yeah, no. Nick, it could certainly happen. Like, uh, you talk to some people, they're like, oh, he's definitely a top 100 player. And you talk to other people, he's going to be there in the middle of day three. And, you know, we've been talking about this nonstop. This wide receiver class is so deep, he could certainly be there. This time I was like, all right, let's pretend he's a top 100 player uh, because I'm with you. Like if he went in the fifth round, I'd like his game, but it's just so deep that um, I don't know. Like I'm a Steelers homer. I don't know if I'd be crazy about them taking a wide receiver like Antonio Gandy Golden at one. I think they have one of six. They're going to take a wide receiver probably in the first two picks. I'm with you and, and I get that. But um, so, yeah, continue. Yeah, well, that would just be my concern, just because the Giants have a lot of holes on the roster, you know, center, they need to address the tackle position, edge, the single high safety, they still need probably some depth at linebacker, and uh, I just think they could maybe get Gandy Golden later, or they can get Colin Johnson later, some of the, somebody who can fill that X receiver role, because there's it's just such a deep position. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a B, and it's not that I don't – I love the idea. I think what you nailed it. What they need is a receiver with size for a variety of reasons. One, Shepard, Tate, Slayton, they don't really have it right now. Uh, Coleman, if you count on him, and I, I'm, I'm not giving up on him. But more importantly, Jason Garrett's coming over, and if he's bringing that Eric Coriel-based offensive system that he had in Dallas – they need size at the outside boundary wide receiver position. It's it's a lock. It's obvious. I mean, it's what the system is predicated on. But for me, I'm kind of with Nick. I, I just don't think the Giants are in a position to take a wide receiver on the first two days of this draft based on how deep the class is, based on the fact that I kind of like Isaiah Hodgkins better than Gandy Golden, and he's going to be there, in my opinion, around four or five. So I just think that with the position that they're in, that they have to kind of um, – wait a little bit and they don't have the luxury of a team like the Steelers who don't have that many holes really um on the on either side of the ball and they could go ahead and take one round one two or three so that's kind of where I'm at with that Ryan all right no I appreciate it I love I love hearing uh the feedback and and at least it's not on Twitter and all caps and and yelling at me yeah exactly (laughs) before before we wrap things up uh with a couple big questions for the Giants that I wanted to get to I want to do a couple more listener questions and these ones might be a little bit more fun. CBS Sports' is Will Brinson, who we already uh, mentioned on this podcast, says, the first-time caller, who are some of the smaller school day three picks for the Giants to target? So you can decide if you want to answer this seriously or not. Uh, yeah, he would. He had, he couldn't name one day three pick if he needed to. Much less small. <laughs> he was just being uh, annoying. But one guy, a few guys that I like. Ben Barch, he was at the Senior Bowl. Um, yeah. 
St. John's D3 guy, offensive tackle, he was great. I remember seeing some reps with him and um, Terrell Lewis, who we talked about earlier, and um, he got as much as he gave in those one-on-ones, and I was impressed with him. I think he's probably a day three guy um, just because you just don't know. Yes, we saw him for three days in Mobile, Alabama, but you just don't know over the course of a season how he's going to match up and those changes. So day three, and he, he's a project, and he could certainly be really, really good. A guy that I love, I don't know if the uh, the Giants would necessarily be looking for another tight end, but Adam Troutman out of Dayton, um, another guy, great senior bowl. Um, he scored an insane amount of touchdowns the last few years. I think he only ran like a four, eight, three or something in the combine, but he plays faster than that. And he has lacks zero confidence. Um, I remember asking him at the, at the combine. So you see some of these small school kids come to the senior bowl and they are overwhelmed and you can understand why. And he goes, eh, it's football. And I was out there to prove that, you know, I could do it. And, and he, he did it very easily. Uh, Kyle Murphy could be someone who interests the giants. He's, um, offensive lineman for Rhode Island. He can play guard, tackle, or center, and just that versatility alone uh, might be something you want to take a, a day three flyer on. And then Alex Taylor's another offensive tackle. I think he's a day three guy. Maybe he sneaks in the top 100, but he is so raw. I think he's like 6'9", South Carolina State. Um, we're watching him play thinking, my God, he has a lot of work to do and uh, in order to, to, to sort of progress to the point where you'd feel comfortable putting him out there. But scouts love his athleticism and his upside and all those other words they use. So he's a guy that could also – be on the map day three for some team uh, unless some team is really in love with them and takes them earlier than that well Brinson might have been asking it as a joke but that was awesome I'm really happy he did ask that question because we got some really good names in there for people to keep an eye on and the one that stands out the most to me obviously for those who have listened to the pod is Barch because Barch is probably my favorite potential target for the Giants at any position on day three uh just love the upside there love the upside it's the exact kind of offensive lineman I would take on day three someone who who has performed at a high level, but of course it's against inferior competition to what he's going to see at the NFL level. But if you look at him, there's a chance that it's going to work. It's going to transition the NFL. He's going to get better with good coaching. And really, I think he's going to get a lot stronger and bigger too, because he was, I'm pretty sure he was the guy who at the combine talked about it. It went viral. Was he the guy with the, the weird proteins, whatever. (laughs) That was Bart. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and then we got another question, actually, from a CBS sports friend and colleague of ours, Sean Wagner McGough, who, in my opinion, uh, one of my favorite guys at CBS sports. But at the same time, I'm still kind of not quite over when I first met him. We uh, ordered in lunch one of the days uh, down in the Fort Lauderdale office. And while there was a really extensive menu from the place we ordered, I'm talking about I got a sandwich, I think, with chicken cutlet, prosciutto, mozzarella. It was awesome. And and Sean turned in his order and he was the only one we got the kale salad with no protein added. It was one of the most disappointing orders I've ever seen in my life of anything, really. I just, I'm still not over it. So I'm going to let him ask, ask his question anyway, but just I wanted that to be noted and on the record. So Sean wants to know, what are your official Star Wars rankings? Yeah, a few things about Sean. He's <laughs> 27. He lives in Northern California, so the kale thing makes more sense. Uh, he is as emo as they come, and he owns it. So all those things taken together, and he's a huge Star Wars nerd. Like he has a, a movie newsletter that he sends out. He's the only person on planet Earth still sending out newsletters. So you can subscribe to it. I think I can't believe I'm say it. It's the long shot. I think it's what it is. So you can find it on Medium or something. Who knows? But uh, that's that's his jam when he's not. He's a Bears fan too somehow when he's not crying about the Bears. So uh, yeah, he's a huge Star Wars guy. And um, 
back, like I'm an original Star Wars nerd, but not to the extent that he is. He came to it much later. You guys came to it much later if you're at all involved in Star Wars. But I was there, uh, you know, when the original came out. I was actually alive. So here are my favorites. Um, number one is Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Uh, I think forever and always. That'll be number one. Then things get interesting. Um, I, I love Rogue One. I think Rogue One might be number two now. <sighs> then it's, I think then it's A New Hope. Then it's The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens is the jam because it was such a long layoff between those super crappy movies, one, two, and three. And then Force Awakens came back and, and with J.J. Abrams, and it was just refreshing to, to sort of be back in the, in the legit Star Wars mix. So then Force Awakens. Um, the Rise of Skywalker, it, it's not as high on, on my list, only because I feel like I had seen that movie a bunch of times. Yeah. So um, I'll go with uh, Return of the Jedi then the rise of Skywalker, eh. and then the last, the, the middle three are just such. They're not even worth ranking, are they? And Solo, I haven't mentioned Solo. I like Solo a lot. I just didn't include it here because it's not sort of the right these these uh, nine episodes, I guess. But um, Solo is up there. I would put that certainly ahead of the the one, two, and three, the Phantom Menace and all that nonsense. I would put it ahead of Rise of uh, Skywalker and maybe even Return of the Jedi. So those are my sort of haphazard rankings uh, of star wars thanks to sean's stupid question i like it i like it and i'm i'm also a t- i mean not maybe not to sean's extent but i'm a tv movie nerd for sure and i love love that stuff so it, it definitely resonates with me but I'll, I'll give you my one take on star wars it's really all i got i came to it in sh- extremely late about three years ago i had never seen a single star wars and me oh. and my brother sat down and watched the original ones four five six and i've seen all of them since then um we kind of turned it into a little tradition to see it every year, me and my brother. But for me, I don't think – I think there's four, five, six, and I think everything else drops off from there. I think the plot movement in those original three is just at such a different level. It's just fast movement, movement, scene to scene. The plot just keeps moving and new awesome things are happening. And I feel like as we've as I've watched every other movie, I haven't gotten that. I still think they're fun. I think they're exciting and fun and everything, but – like you said, I feel like the same stories are kind of being repeated over and over with nothing new and really at a much slower pace. So for that, that would be my Star Wars take. I love the original three and everything else eh, for me. Nick, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, I'm ashamed to admit this to the audience, to Ryan, to Dan. I have never seen Star Wars. Wow. And yeah. you just had to sit through this five minutes of, of I tried. I mean, I, I tried. To, oh, yeah. I, I tried to absorb as much information that my. My brain can handle, but I, I just don't know anything, and I really need to get up on it. I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of this fact at all. That or Harry Potter, I've never seen, and it's uh, it's one of the uh, one of the definitely uh, negative things about me. Yeah, no, nah, Harry Potter's fine. Like my wife reads the books, my kids have read the book. I I'm I'm fine with a, a wizard with a lightning bolt in his head. Uh, I'm okay with that. But even in these days where there's literally nowhere to go, you haven't thought to yourself, you know what? I want to try out Star Wars. No, I definitely have a it's crossed my mind. It just hasn't materialized yet. But uh, yeah, maybe it will. Maybe it will. Maybe it should. He's too busy watching tape on the 2020 class, and that's what we that's what we, that's how we want to keep it that way, Brian. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna we're gonna get you out of here. I really appreciate you taking all this time to interview with us. This is unbelievable, and I'm sure the listeners are also gonna really enjoy it. But I want to ask a couple serious questions to to wrap this up. And I think it's really interesting to ask the or I'm sorry, not interesting, important to ask these questions to an outsider analyst who's not 
like me and Nick watching all 22 Giants, every single game of Giants on all 22. And, and you know, obviously both me and Nick grew up Giants fans, so there, there could be potential bias. So I want to see from an outside perspective, two questions, and I'll start with this one, Ryan. Is, has Dave Gettleman been as terrible as he is, you know, as, as people presume from the outside perspective? Is it as bad as people say it is? No, I don't think it is. And in fact, if you look at their draft class, you guys will have to tell me the draft from, from last year. So Dexter Lawrence went in the middle of the first round. They obviously took Danny Dimes up top. Um, and then they traded back up to get uh, the, the cornerback, DeAndre Baker, right? DeAndre Baker was my number one cornerback last year, so I have no issue with that. He struggled at points. I think he got better towards the end of the season. You guys would know better than I did. Um, they got O'Shane Zimenez in the third round. We talked about that. I was okay with that. Did they have a second-round pick? Uh, no, they traded – or I'm sorry. They they had the – why am I blanking on it? Nick, is there a second-rounder I'm not remembering for some reason? Well, they traded up to get DeAndre Baker. Yeah, they traded it to get Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. And um, Corey Ballantyne, I liked him a lot coming out. I know he's a small school guy, and he obviously had the issues where his friend got shot and he got shot. But um, I, I think there's some upside there. He's, he can return the ball a little bit. Um, Darius Slayton, um, there's a kid who at Auburn struggled with drops and played, you know, same with Jared Stidham uh, on some level. That offensive line was terrible, so Jared Stidham looked terrible. I think Jared Stidham's actually going to surprise some people in terms of, of his ability, assuming they don't get Andy Dalton or get Jordan Love or something. But if he gets an opportunity, I think he'll be okay. Uh, Darius Slayton blew people away with how good he was. I think he probably even surprised himself a little bit. I was surprised at how well he played. But um, I, I think he hit on some draft picks. It was just uh, no one else, I feel like on planet Earth, felt like Daniel Jones was the sixth overall pick. And that's what sort of surprised people. Um, so, and also sort of <laughs> the way that Dave Gettleman reacted in the press conference while Pat Shermer was sitting there looking like he'd rather be anywhere else. Um, <laughs> You know, just in terms of the, the PR standpoint. But at the end of the day, who cares? Um, I was happy for Jones when he we, – we, I thought he should have replaced Eli Manning sooner. And, and I was happy uh, with that Tampa Bay game. That was amazing. And then he struggled. But every – look, Kyler Murray struggled. Everyone struggled. Drew Locke looked like crap in, the, in in August. And he didn't get on the field till what, December? And he, he looked a little better. We'll see. So, you know, you have to go through these growing pains. Um, I just think Dave Gettleman's sort of gruff persona rubs – Media folk and media folk in general are pretty uh, um, thin-skinned, and they take these things personally. But he hasn't done a terrible job. I do wish he were a little more open to moving up and down. And like the Saquon Barkley thing, I wouldn't take Saquon at two. Uh, that team sucked last year with Saquon. It wasn't Saquon's fault. But a running back isn't going to save you, and I, I think you have to understand that. But in general, I would give him – like, is he the worst GM? No. Is he the best GM? No, he's not that either. I would put him, like, middle of the pack – and I think his draft last year, for the most part, was pretty good. I mean, he had Daniel Jones six, so he took him six. I'm not going to crush the guy for that. Daniel Jones wasn't my number one quarterback. You know who was? Dwayne Haskins. So, I mean, what, what am I going to do? Get mad at Dave Gettleman for taking a better player than Dwayne Haskins, who went seven picks later? Um, I, I have no issue with, with sort of what he did last year. I like Baker. Um, I don't know if I would trade Dexter Lawrence and uh, Jabril Peppers for Odell Beckham. I think that's what it worked out to be. I think is that right? They, and and, and O'Shea and Zimenez. Peppers and, and Zimenez as well. Yeah. So yeah. But Odell Beckham, what did he do last year? So again, the issue I have is the the big contract, and we're not going to trade him conversation. But whatever. So I, I give him a B minus, C plus, B minus in, in terms of what he's done, his overall body of work. Some things I disagree with, and other things I'm okay with. I like it, and you know I have been. I, people have accused me of being harsh on Gettleman at times, uh, at least in relation to most Giants analysts, because I feel like 
there is a lot of cushion with Gettleman uh, from the Giants analyst community, with the exception of obviously, you know, like the, the the obvious haters of the Giants that cover the team that I won't name on this podcast right now. But you can you guys listening probably know who. But I think most of my negative uh, opinion of, of Gettleman centers around his ability to understand the value of draft picks and the draft in general. He's never traded down like we've talked about, which is an issue. Uh, if you look at all the studies that they've done, the economic studies, the value of trading down, and almost at, at almost any time you would do it, you're getting good value. And also, you know, making the decision to trade that top 70 pick for an impending free agent in Leonard Williams. You look at it one year later, now, or not one year later, a few months later now, and would they rather have that pick plus Clowney on a one-year contract at the same price as Leonard Williams, or would they rather have Williams on that tag? To me, that seems like a no-brainer. It doesn't seem like something that... I needed hindsight to figure out. And so for me, those are issues for sure. But from a talent evaluation standpoint, I've been fine with, with pretty much everything Gettleman's done. And in the end, evaluating talent and drafting it is the most important thing for a GM. So I'm happy to hear that Ryan, from an outside perspective, uh, has that same thought. And, and, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll leave you, we'll let you end it on this one, Ryan, because I did want to get that same basic question the outside perspective on Daniel Jones. Was he as bad as people say on, you know, Twitter during his rookie season? Because this one, you know, I'm kind of not even, you know, leaning in that Gettleman direction. I personally, from what I've seen on the All-22, watching him game after game, I actually think he was good during his rookie season. I think the, the, the knocks on him, the fumbles, which to me, you know, that's a really specific thing to, to knock him for, especially when a lot of those fumbles were Nate Solder's fault. And it's and it's the awareness in the pocket. But again, a really specific thing to knock him on, a rookie on when he, who doesn't have a good offensive line. So what did you see from Jones? And, and do you kind of think he's been, you know, he's is your, I guess, long term perspective on him as negative as some others might be on, on Twitter right now? No, I like Daniel Jones. I liked him a lot last year. Um, let me think. So it was uh, my rankings are Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray. And I think I had Drew Locke just ahead of, of Daniel Jones. Um I, I, I like the way he played. I like the fact that he was the only show in town at Duke. Duke's offensive line sucked. Their wide receiver yep. dropped a ton of passes, and he still showed up. I mean, that Temple game, the the bowl game, he went nuts. I know Rocky Sin didn't play in that game, and Temple's defense wasn't great, but he showed up. I mean, you you, you only can play the – what does Parcel say? You, you only can play your schedule, and that's what he did. Um, he's a really good – surprisingly good athlete, which people – you know, you see him standing next to Eli Manning playing uh, beer pong. You're like, okay, that, that's Eli <laughs> And brother, he, he probably can't walk, put one foot in front of the other. But he played bad. He was a really good basketball player in high school. He's a um, what do you run a four seven or something insane. Uh, one of my favorite stats from the 2018 season, preparing for the 2019 draft, was that he rushed for nearly 200 yards against UNC. I think they were on two carries. But the fact that he had two long runs and outrun everyone to the end zone uh, or thereabouts is noteworthy. And I think he's going to be good. I, I think. Um, again, it's just the fact he was, if he was taken or Drew Locke was taken, no one would give one single crap. No one has said anything about John Elway blowing it with Drew Locke because he didn't take him at, at 10 or 20. He took him in the second round. And, and I think if you sort of temper your expectations and, and just you have to be patient with these kids, right. whether it's at number five or taken at, at number 45, I think that sort of changes how you view them. I think Daniel Jones is going to be fine. I, I'm not worried about him. Uh, I'm much more concerned about what is Dwayne Haskins going to do with zero direction in, in Washington, or will there be some direction there? I'm more concerned about Jameis Winston, wherever he lands. Is he going to throw 30 interceptions? Probably. I don't think Daniel Jones – he's in year two. He's going to get better, and, and he'll be more comfortable. And, you know, you know, he's a smart kid. He's not out there 
you know, you don't, he's not out there doing passing up money to LSU players in the games. He, he's, he seems he'll be fine. I'm not worried about Daniel Jones. Well, I'm glad to hear from the outside perspective, Ryan, that a it's not as bad as people say with Gettleman and and Jones. Let, let's be a little more patient on before we declare him a, a bust, uh, especially for somebody who nearly broke Baker Mayfield's rookie touchdown passing record with 24 touchdowns versus just 12, 12 interceptions. Obviously, the fumbles were there as well. We have to factor that in. So the turnovers are definitely up, but hopefully those will come down. And Ryan, thanks again for taking so much time today to to dive into this. This was freaking awesome, man. We we love this, me and Nick. This is exactly the type of content we want, and we know the fans are going to really enjoy it as well, too. So thanks again, Ryan. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you and your family can stay safe and sane. I know you're, you're in a house with two boys and, and, and your wife and just you and every day in that quarantine. I know that's a lot. That's a lot of work for, for one person. So hopefully you can stay sane as well. Yeah, yeah. No, the real loser in my house is the dog. He's used to being by himself during the day. So he's he's the real loser. Uh, Dan and Nick, thank you so much. I had a blast. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. All right. Wow. That was a jam-packed interview with Ryan. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We've got a lot of content coming up. We're going to do a, I'm going to do a full seven round uh, mock draft like Nick did. And I'm going to have Nick grade me on that. The opposite of what we did last or two weeks ago. We have Kyle Krabs coming on for an interview next week, and he's going to dive deep into the offensive line. Uh, group in this class, offensive tackles, offensive centers. I'm really excited for a deep offensive line dive. We're going to have that. we got a lot more stuff coming up. We're going to try to do as much of content as possible leading up to the draft, which is sooner than, you know, coming up pretty soon. So uh, on that note, thanks again for tuning in. If you do enjoy the podcast, please, please do us a favor. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's all we'll ever ask. And share it with your friends and family, and that'll help us grow. So thanks again, and we'll talk to you guys soon. 